the trauma is very real. I think trauma of being an abortion survivor, first of all, and then the trauma of, again, repeated abortions working in the industry. It's, it's a lot to deal with. Welcome to a brand new Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen, and that was Priscilla Hurley, an abortion survivor and who today is a pro-life speaker and advocate. Priscilla, she has one of the most amazing life stories that I have heard, and honestly, one of those stories that you just kind of have to hear from her to believe. She first was exposed to abortion when she was only three and a half months old, still a baby in the womb, her own mom tried to abort her. Then as a young woman, she had two abortions of her own and then ended up actually working at an abortion clinic. And through a near-death experience in a car crash, that was actually kind of what started her on her own pro-life journey. So just a really incredible, wild story. I'm so excited to have her on the show today and let her share her journey with you all. But before we dive into that conversation, I want to let you all know that Problematic Women is going to be at the Turning Point USA Young Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas, Texas, June 2nd through the 4th. So if you all plan at being at that summit in Dallas, Texas, please stop by the Problematic Women booth. We're going to be in the exhibit hall. You can pick up one of the pink Problematic Women tumblers. We're going to have some other fun swag there. You can get a picture with some cool problematic signs and swag. So we would love to see you all. Please stop by. It's going to be a ton of fun June 2nd through the 4th at the Turning Point USA Women's Leadership Summit in Dallas, Texas. All right, let's go ahead and get to this conversation with Priscilla. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show pro-life speaker Priscilla Hurley, a community support specialist for the Abortion Survivors Network. Priscilla, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Virginia. So you have a story unlike, honestly, anyone I have ever heard. You have been exposed to abortion really in in every way, and it began for you before you were even born. Begin there. Tell us a little bit about what happened to you when you were still in your mom's womb. Yes. Well, uh, my mother uh, had four children already, and my father, my biological father, uh, was uh, suddenly deceased from a plane crash. He, His job was very risky. He was an experimental test pilot um, in Southern California. So he, um, the plane that he took up for the last flight actually fell apart in the sky. And that was part of the risk (laughs) that he took being in that profession. And so she was left with uh, four children as a widow and pregnant with me. And I think um, like so many women that are caught in a situation like this, she probably just was full of fear and dread. This was, you know, I'm, I'm 72. So this was in 1949. Um, Of course, it was illegal in California, of course, and most everywhere. 
but she had friends that I think she went, I, I pieced it together through my grandmother's diary. And also from talk, you know, the verbal history I have from my mother after uh, I became a Christian in 1981 and I started asking her more questions. <laughs> but at that time, she was um, probably very scared and decided that the best thing to do would be to go across the border to Mexico and allow an abortionist to end my life. Um, they did a quote unquote successful DNC procedure, which is dilation and curatage. Um, and she went back home. Apparently she had symptoms of success. She went home probably, let's see, the diary said she left on the 18th of February. She returned on the 1st of March. So she was gone for several days. My grandmother and grandfather were staying with the other children in Torrance where I was born. But she went to the doctor on March 14th and the doctor said, you have a, you're four months pregnant. So the um, abortion wasn't successful, at least as far as my life. But I guess the doctor and her both concluded that it, it, it seemed to have been successful, right? And so they thought there was probably a twin involved. So I don't have any medical records to support that, but this is all based on verbal history and accounts that I've been told by my mother. And uh, so I, as a child, like many abortion survivors, we struggle with feeling like we belong. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's just the darkness of the attempt on the abortion, or if it's um, the way that we're treated by people that know, (laughs) in this case, my mother, because she didn't tell anybody at all. She remarried a year after I was born, and and our adoptive father provided us with a really wonderful childhood. But the emotional needs that we had, I think, regarding my older siblings, regarding the loss of their father, and then me kind of coming into this world not really being wanted, you know. And so there was a lot of needs (laughs) that remained unmet. How old were you when you actually, or or did you know as a child that your mother had tried to abort you? No, I did not know. And the the story is that when I was 19, I was sexualizing my needs for love and attachment Mm -hmm. when I went to college, right? So I um, was so needy that uh, at any any rate, you know, when you have uh, sex, you risk getting pregnant. (laughs) That's part of how God created us was to create life. And I was very ignorant. I had no instruction at all. I mean, I, you know, it was just that era where nobody talked about anything, (laughs) uh, let alone, and I didn't have a moral teaching about it. Um, So anyway, all that's kind of the background because I, I, I all, you know, that's part of my story too, is discovering all of this in time. But at 19, I got pregnant and my mother, I, I was uh, in love. I mean, it was not like a one night stand or anything. It was a, a pretty stable relationship, you know, as much as it can be at the age of 19. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom, when I told her, cause I was fearful of, you know, that, and um, she came up to the college and took me home and there was no, com- this is the, the sorry part I think is there was no conversation there was no dialogue on options. There was no 
making me take responsibility for it. It was all just managed and take that my parents took charge and uh, an abortion was arranged at the hospital. It was legal in California to have it in a hospital at that time. And I just went along with that. So again, at the age of 19, I was in the hospital and I had the exact same abortion procedure done on me that day at that time that my mother had done against me Mm -hmm. uh, 19 years earlier. Mm -hmm. Now I found out um, a couple months, probably three or four months after that, where I was walking alone with my mother to the airport to pick my sister up. And she turned to me and said, Oh, by the way, I tried to have you aborted. Mm. And I just, it was one of those moments where you stop in time because I, I just was shocked at that. Um, and it took me a while. I mean, I, we didn't talk about it at all then it was just kind of stuffed down, but what it did help me at that time realize was that it gave me a real sort of deeper understanding as to why she never really loved me the way she she sh- should have you know i know or or why i was always feeling so alone and depressed and unwanted um mm. especially by her because you know she she was my mom and um you know i think my dad loved me as as much as he could and i of course my sisters my siblings we played well together and all that but it was just that lack of of nurturing love that i I had. So it explained that to me. Yeah. Um, And I think too, that's one thing that I like to talk about is that generational aspect of abortion uh, Hmm. and how, unless there's a cycle breaker in there, it's going to probably continue. Um, Yeah. So I makes sense. Yes. So that's kind of tells you uh, that incident of when I first found out. Mm. So Mm -hmm. your, your journey continued. I mean, just, uh, it's so much already for, for a young person to have gone through the age of 19, their own abortion, then to find out that your mother had tried to abort you and be trying to make sense of that and feeling this isolation and this depression. Um, but you kind of continued on and mm-hmm. um, and ultimately you wound up working for Planned Parenthood. How did that happen? Well, yes, I, you know, I just want to emphasize the fact of how traumatic and how damaging abortion is because I, I still carried on. I still, after I was 19, I went through all that. It was very sad because my boyfriend broke up, you know, I mean, Mm. it just destroys things in its wake, you know? And so I went on to another relationship later and ended up getting pregnant again at the age of 25 this time. And I wouldn't have chosen abortion myself, but because I was, you know, again, traumatized, through these things that happened to me, I didn't have the power to know what my own uh, mind thought, basically. And Mm -hmm. so I allowed my boyfriend at that time to be the authority in that decision. And so I went along with it. It was after Roe v. Wade. It was a vacuum aspiration procedure. It was uh, horrifying. Mm. And I knew something horrible was, was wrong there. Again, this is God working in me. I had not become a Christian yet, but he was, he was giving me these experiences, allowing these experiences. And I was so uh, indignant about that. I was so upset about that experience. My boyfriend knew a couple women who worked in an abortion clinic 
and in San Francisco. And this was two years after Roe versus Wade. I was going to school, getting my college degree in San Francisco. So it was during this time. And um, he introduced me to them. It wasn't really a Planned Parenthood per se clinic, but that's exactly the model. It was exactly the same model. It was just a private operation. And we got a lot of referrals from Planned Parenthood when they filled up their schedule. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was, so I, I interviewed with them. I, I am a health educator, so health is my field. And I uh, was interested in what they were, you know, how they managed it. And they, I was so isolated alone in that experience the second time. I just thought, why didn't anybody tell me anything about what to expect? So this this clinic did that. They had group sessions where they go through the procedure, what's going to happen, you know, and it was kind of more of an informed mm-hmm. uh, experience. Although when the vacuum aspiration is actually on and you're getting that experience, there is nothing that can prepare you for that. Nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, but we were there. We were in the rooms with them, holding their hands and supporting them. So in a really kind of twisted way, I was trying to help women. And that's, I have found a big reason why a lot of women get into that, the, this industry is because they, they have, you know, they they have that opportunity from having their own abortions sometimes, and then going in to try to help women. (laughs) So I did that for three years and uh, got, you know, and I can tell you stories, you know, it's a very dark, deceptive place. And if you have seen Abby Johnson's unplanned movie, uh, that tells a story verbatim. I mean, it's just exactly as it, as it was presented a lot of deception. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, very controlled environment on what you can say, um, and what, how you can answer questions. Uh, there was one young lady who's at just point blank asked if it was killing and I didn't know how to answer that personally. I just deferred it to the woman that was there with me in the room. And she said, oh, you know, just minimized her question, didn't really think about or cared about the fact that this woman was obviously struggling and was trying to to fight for her baby. She just minimized it and said, well, it's like killing a fly. So that mm-hmm. those are the kinds of lies that go on in an abortion clinic is just Oh, it has nothing to do with humanity or killing a human child. It's just, you know, I mean, it's just a very sick and twisted place. And mm. I'm so glad that I finally got taken out of there and it was really God orchestrated. I almost died in a car accident. And I think at that point in time, everything pivoted to me. I, I started questioning everything <laughs> and I hadn't, I hadn't come to, to, to God yet. I haven't found faith, but I was on that path. Um, And God delivered me out of that horrible situation and placed me in rural Alaska where I uh, fell in love with as a work assignment and finishing my master's degree in health, health uh, program development. And so anyway, it's kind of a long story, but that summarizes my journey. And uh, the third time I got pregnant, I still was not married. I hadn't changed my behaviors really of sexualizing my needs, but I did, uh, did say no more. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do with this child, you know? 
So um, my son is 41 (laughs) and I did end up marrying the father and I have two beautiful daughters. I have 11 grandchildren and two, three great grandchildren. And when you think about that, if I wasn't here, those generations represented by my children and my grandchildren would also not be here. Mm. So it's, it's really profound when you think about what abortion is through the life of somebody who was actually saved in the womb uh, to tell a story someday, you know, about that evil Uh, and, and how valuable and purposeful life is for, for everyone. Mm. So uh, that's, that's really the summary of, of uh, my journey. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share it. And I've got um, the other chapter, there's several other chapters in my journey. And one of them is, is learning about abstinence as a choice <laughs> mm-hmm. and doing God, getting God called me to a, a, an organization in Southern back down in Southern California, where I taught and ran an abstinence program for nine years. And that was so rewarding. I, I can't tell you how much Virginia that, young people seem to just be hungry for somebody to tell them some truth about these, this very, very important decision in their life. And it's so rewarding to do that um, because I don't know if I would have made different decisions. I'll never know that. Right. Mm -hmm. But I never knew any, any, I had no wisdom presented to me in regards to sexual integrity, being wise about your decision-making and, trying not, you know, just dealing with the, the emotional needs so you don't go out and sexualize those needs because yeah. it, it it's going to end up badly uh, no matter, it's going to be a struggle and a challenge, you yeah. know, no matter how you, how you uh, shake it down. So that was uh, kind of the full circle for me. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so now what, I, I what like journey. to do all, I like to share anything that I can regarding my journey because it's been, um, you know, quite a journey, but the trauma is very real. I think trauma of being an abortion survivor, first of all, and then the trauma of, again, repeated abortions working in the industry. It's, it's a lot to deal with. And thankfully I've gotten a lot of healing through ASN. Uh, the abortion survivors network is so great. Um, and, through other ministries like uh, Abby Johnson's ministry. And then there were none offers a healing program for, um, for women that have women and men that have worked in the abortion industry that are out. So it's, it's helpful, very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. What, what for you was, uh, or was there kind of one thing, a, a straw that really broke that said, okay, uh, I have to get out of this industry now. Yeah. So I think, honestly, a couple of things. One is I really did almost die in a car accident. And during that that time where I was unconscious in the floor of my little VW bug, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember anything other than waking up in the hospital hours later, they had to do the jaws of life to get me out of the car. Mm-hmm. But a man, and I believe it to this day that it was an angel messenger or, you know, somebody who was calmly, and I was Mm -hmm. unconscious, but I remember seeing him Mm 
mm-hmm. outside of the window of my car saying, you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I think God had his, a plan for me, but he knew, he, you know, it's just, it shows you what he will do to get our attention. Hmm. You know, he, what he has to do sometimes yeah. to, uh, and he, you know, in this case, you know, release me from the, the car that was, if you could, my mom showed me pictures of it later. And I was like, oh my gosh, what a miracle I even survived. And, um, after that, I mean, I was unconscious for, I don't know how long. And I started, I went back to work. I had a neck brace. I had broken my neck. I had a neck brace on for 24 hours for three months. So that's one thing. And I think that visit from that angel was, it. I think was just a, a spiritual uh, reset for me and just kind of pivoted, put me on a track of questioning everything and then I started grad school I and then I had this opportunity to go to Alaska and I took it I still hadn't come to faith but I think I needed to get out of San Francisco and that darkness into beautiful rural Alaska <laughs> working with the Alaska native Yupik culture which and the people are beautiful gracious very I had Christian friends up there for the first time even though I wasn't a believer yet and so I think there was just an opportunity there to help me get out of these really dark circumstances. And then, yeah. you know, I, yes, I got pregnant again, but I'm, I'm again, nobody was going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to submit to anybody. And it's almost like that was one of the big things. And, and, you know, so I think that was probably the real pivotal moment for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, in, in so many ways, it's like at that moment where uh, your life was saved and you realize the value of your own life, uh, that kind of increases the value for all life around yes. you. Uh, that's yes. really, really beautiful. Yes. So, and yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. What do you think are um, are maybe some of the most common misconceptions that people have about abortion right now? Because I think so many people that advocate for abortion are, are doing so essentially for kind of the reasons why you said they, they think they're really helping women. Right. Yeah. Well, I think they, yeah. And I, I think there's probably a lot of, there is confusion um, uh, among people. I was thinking about this before we came on because I was like, right now with Roe v. Wade, possibly, you know, we're hoping is going to be overturned. Uh, with the technology, with the doctors that have come out to be speak truth to this because they were there, they know, they have those experiences. We have sonograms, we have 3D sonograms, imaging of babies in the womb. I think the more that this messaging gets out, the more people are going to struggle with uh, the fact that, no, this really is a human being and we're killing human beings. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing right about that especially the voiceless and the helpless dependent children in the womb. There is nothing right about it. And I think people are, you know, they're just hanging on to how, you know, and I, 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 you know, it's the same reason I went into the industry because I had an abortion and I wanted to help women, but you know, that was a long time ago. We didn't have, all the imagery. I mean, I think when they see sonograms, they just go, oh my gosh, you know, um, you just are hanging on to that, that 
blind, you just have blinders on and you're deceived about the truth of really what is happening. And it does, it's just a messaging. You have to continue to get the message of life out there. But, and I know also, I, you know, women that have had abortions are needing to talk about it and needing to, you know, because it's a shameful thing to live with Virginia, to have Mm -hmm. an abortion and to have a hand in actually killing your own child. It's horrifying when you, how else could you deal with that except for by the forgiveness we have in faith in Christ? Mm -hmm. It would be impossible for me to even talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's so much shame uh, padded around these women and their, and I, this is my, my true uh, sense of it. And they, they, in order to uh, protect their pain, you know, it's just how do you, they deal with the trauma? Well, they just get angry, you know? Mm. And I think that there's been so many cultural and sociological consequences from the a prolific legalization of abortion and what that's done to women what that's done to our society and our families and our communities. I think it's, it's just horrifying. So I think every, everything that we can do to try to, you know, continue to speak the truth out to people about it and also to point them to the forgiveness that we have in, in the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. You know, that's how I was able to find, find a freedom. And uh, that's, that's the opportunity that we have. And I, I, I will share my story with anyone, but part of that story is coming to faith in Christ and being set free from mm. a curse that was on me for 31 years. Mm. And mm. Um, I'm, so, I'm so thankful for that because I broke that cycle of abortion. And not to disclose names, but I have, you know, siblings that have also had abortion and so you see that generational you know it we've got to be the cycle breakers um and that requires courage and it requires uh speaking out yeah and priscilla i'm so glad that that you so boldly do speak out that you're so willing to share your story and and you you do speak all over you tell your story if if anyone listening is thinking maybe they work at a pregnancy center or they're thinking we would love to have Priscilla come to our church and speak how could they find out more information about you and and invite you to come be a speaker uh there's a couple ways i of course going through the Abortion Survivors Network is one way. I have an email uh, there. And then also I am on the Ambassadors Speaker website um, and have a a place there that um, I just recently have been added to. So either one of those places. And then, you know, I can always be reached myself. Um, I do have my own website for my abstinence training, uh, which I will be um, presenting a breakout session at the CareNet conference in August uh, called The Choice to Choose. Mm -hmm. And it will be, um, part of it is going to be, you know, of course, talking about ASN, because that's really a big reason why I can talk about all of my stories is 
is being able to reconcile that some of the things that I made, the decisions that I made as a young woman were because of the trauma I received mm-hmm. in the womb, mm-hmm. because a, a life, my life was, um, I was, you know, <laughs> violated so powerfully yeah. in the womb by yeah. an abortionist. So that's, that doesn't, the seriousness of that can't be understated, you know? Yeah. And so Absolutely. abortion survivors network has I don't know if you want emails for me to share emails, but, but, or you could just go on the website and leave a note or contact me um, at, um, I think it's support one at abortion survivors.org. That's my ASM email address. Excellent. Um, Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, we want even more people to hear your story because it is so powerful. But Priscilla, we're just so thankful for your time today and your willingness to share in the work that you are doing to stand up for women and to stand up for the unborn. Um, Just thank you. Really appreciate this has been just such a pleasure. Thank you, Virginia. I appreciate the opportunity. Bless you in your work. And that's going to be it for this Tuesday edition of Problematic Women. Join us again Thursday morning for a brand new edition. But if you haven't done so, take a minute to subscribe and share. Conservatives, we really need your support in the podcast world. So we would so appreciate you taking just a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, wherever you listen. We're on all the platforms. It makes a huge difference. We read all of those reviews. We love hearing from you all. In the meantime, have a great week and we will see you Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.